Welcome to Connecting Africa, a podcast series from Africa Tech Festival, where we will be chatting to some of Africa's top thought leaders and startups about the hot topics in tech across the continent and beyond. I'm Paula, coming to you from Durban, South Africa, and helping me to make sense of it all are my two co-hosts from different parts of the world. I'm Toby, still coming to you from Accra, Ghana, trying to get through my inbox. And I'm Tian, coming to you from Jersey City, still waiting on Toby to reply to my email. Subject, you up? In the old days, say any time before 2007, man, feel like a century ago. If you want to get something done in an area you're not too familiar with, you find a guy. Whether that guy is underneath the traffic pole telling you when to turn on Broadway, or a travel agent who help you book everything you need, or they take a little bit of commission, but hey, you're taken care of. Or if you want to buy a house, you find an agent who provides you with all the listings and they kind of sandwich you with one place you like and a place that's not so great and another place that's not so great so you can make your decision. They kind of play you in the process. And in a small town where I grew up, I memorized the one taxi company. If you want to go anywhere, you call him and then in an hour or so, a car will show up if you're in a rush. But in the age of digital transformation, everything changes. Data is available if you know where to look, and there are multiple transparent platforms giving you real-time update. And that's kind of what's happening to a lot of these industries. You no longer need a broker or a third-party person, somebody in the middle, telling you what to do. Even though those people are great, they have a lot of knowledge, a lot of understanding, but you kind of have to rely on whether that guy is there or is not there that day. So we're witnessing an interesting time in history where these companies are building new platforms, connecting people together, and in many ways disrupting an existing industry. Just look at all the angry taxi driver for how much they spend on their medallions, and rightfully so, when Uber came along. Yeah, so I think that kind of relates to um, this next startup that we are talking to today. So Amitrack, which is based in, in Kenya, and they're in the tracking industry, but they've taken this kind of unique way to um, yeah, get rid of that broker who, you know, used to have to do everything. And now this online platform connects truck drivers directly to people who need things moved um, or trucking companies. And the really interesting thing was that unlike Uber, the tracking companies can um, make their own prices. So they sort of tender, they like pitch what their prices are to the user and then the user can choose, you know, which one. So I think that's a, a pretty unique thing about it. Can you imagine that for Uber, if Uber started doing that? Yeah, that would actually be amazing. Can you imagine? You'd be like, just take the cheapest one, but then probably they would roll up in like a really bad car. Exactly. <laughs> and I guess that's the additional thing that Amitrock in this case um, does as well, which is that they have more information about the drivers because usually before you had to go on the trust of the broker in this case or your own intuition of walking into a truck park and picking the right kind of driver. But now, you know, you can see the driver's history, previous trips they've made and just a lot more rich information for you to make a more informed decision. So I think, yeah, that's quite interesting to see what they're doing. Mark Mwangi, who used to venture outside of Africa, and he came back to Africa, and he was like, hey, interesting, and Kenyan has very interesting landscape. The industry's being young, and there's a lot of startups kind of just like, maybe not thriving yet, but they're just at that point of like getting funding, just at the tip of like, get in somewhere being noted by other people by by press and stuff so he's one of those people so he's a couple that kind of create created an interesting story specific to kenya like i can't imagine this company exists in the u.s so Absolutely. and i'm kind of curious to know what will happen to the good old broker in the future <laughs> Thank you.
Okay, so welcome to the podcast, everyone. Um, today our guest is Mark Mwangi, who is the founder of Amitrack, which is a company based in Kenya that helps uh, companies secure logistics transport directly from truck owners, cutting out the middleman. So welcome to the podcast, Mark. Um, obviously, we were kind of interested, where did this idea come from? You know, how did the company start? And I heard you used to be an investment banker. So what made you give up uh, that and get into logistics? I wanted a deeper experience in terms of meaning and actually uh, uh, doing something that made had more of an impact and left more of a legacy. Um, and after playing with that idea for a while, I um, I decided to jump ship and, and, and try and start a business. And Amitrak was actually the second startup I got involved with. We, we tried to do Dalwin, which was automating gas trading in Europe. Um, trying to get rid of the utility and that they that would go see the majors and they'd give us timelines like in 2017 they'd say to us oh yeah this, this is really interesting why don't you come back in 2022 for our tech day <laughs> i sort of think yeah, wow okay you guys move really fast <laughs> and then we tried to take our software and um, automate uh, insurance companies locally and the discussions were going really well until you realize these guys were still running uh, server rooms, uh, CRT screens, and the idea of amount of work you need to do before they begin to benefit from, you know, going to the cloud, sharing data, you know, it just looked like, my God, you guys are 18 months out before we can even start talking about enjoying the benefits of going digital. And in that process, I came across a family, uh, a fa family friend and kind of family who was in the cement business. And he introduced me to this problem in tracking. And then I spent, and then I spent a few months just going around the country, speaking to different, uh, actually more transporters than I spoke to shippers, if I'm honest. Um, and then the idea kind of crystallized in my head uh, about what the problem was and, and how we could fix it. So let's talk about that problem. What specifically was that problem that your family friend, but also a family, <laughs> uh, identified yeah. to you? So initially, you know, the drivers that we met um, were very uh, suspicious of a guy they called a broker. So broker is an informal chap who has a phone. It's not normally a smartphone. For some reason, he knows where all the loads are and he knows where all the trucks are. He doesn't own a single load and he doesn't own a single truck. And you can have up to a chain of three of these guys between a transporter and 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 uh, uh, the cargo owner, and they can take like more than half the fee. And they do really interesting things, you know, like they, they, they'll exaggerate the distance to the customer, but they'll minimize it to the trucker. Um, and then the payment goes through them, uh, so they get quite a big cut, and they might not always finish uh, paying for the, for the load. Uh, additionally, if you have more than one, and even if you have one, and your load gets stolen or damaged, um, it's, it's, it's too bad. There's no way of, of tracking them. But, you know, since then, we've developed this a little more. We've learned more as we're doing more and more of this. And um, we, uh, there's some funny facts such as, you know, 60% of the cost of Colgate in this country is transport. And, you know, it's funny because when I first moved back, I'd go to the shops and I'd try and buy what I used to use in London. And I'd just look at the price and I'd be like, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> it's so overpriced, <laughs> right? Or you pick up like a you pick up like a plastic container for water in the fridge, 
And you kind of know what that would have cost you back in London at, say, B&Q. <laughs> but here it's like $10. You're like, wow. Mm. <laughs> I'm not paying that for plastic. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's just, uh, yeah. yeah, it's a big problem. So the brokers, is, your, is Amitruck's goal to pretty much replace the brokers to a more transparent and, and open platform? Yeah, and it was, it was interestingly, it was very scary to do when we first did it because what we did is we said, okay, we don't, unlike all the others, we don't think we can set pricing because we don't know, right? And, and I didn't think the price per kilometer thing would work here because, well, are you, up, are you going uphill or downhill? Are you climbing altitude? Is it a hot, humid day? Is it cold? Are you on-road? Are you off-road? Am I offloading? Are the cops there? So there's just so many unknowables that, you know, it's not the same as, say, America, where you have straight, flat roads and you can do Uber freight. So we thought, okay, we'll let the drivers tell us. So the customers would send jobs and the drivers would send prices, but the drivers didn't know who got picked or what price the job got done at. And for two or three weeks, we just struggle with this and then eventually my brother who was a CTO back then said oh let's just show them <laughs> so they started seeing each other's prices <laughs> and we thought it would be we thought it would be a race to the bottom but it wasn't and why do you think that that, but, that happened right just obviously uh, a price war not happening yeah I'm not, I, I should be a little embarrassed about this because having worked in banking I should have known economics 101 you know mm. pricing willing buyer willing seller you cross them and happy days mm. Yeah. <laughs> were the prices like all over the show or were they actually quite similar when they looked at them? Uh, previously, they were all over the shop. And even when we started showing them, some of them still didn't get it. You know, you still get people saying, yeah, I know I'm a little more expensive, but I don't get why I didn't get picked. Like, well. <laughs> right. And, and are brokers, the, the old school brokers still involved in some pl- at some point? Or? No, they're still, they still command the land share of the market i'm guessing they weren't that happy about your business and they, they must have been a bit of pushback their brokers don't really know interesting <laughs> yeah <laughs> well, well given that they still have probably if they still demand the market command the market then they probably you know on, on, on the, the more successful you are the more then aware no, they no, are no, they no, will be. yeah mm. correct does it also kind of come down to tech that like people who, you know, are more tech savvy, maybe will use your platform and people that aren't would maybe go through brokers who, you know, they just have to make a phone call? Yeah, it does. And it's not just tech. It's also the willingness of the customer to use it. So you'll find some customers who definitely have access to tech. Some of the larger uh, and medium sized businesses around do have technology and access to tech. Uh, but they just want to make a phone call. So, yeah, it's customer adoption as well. Tell us a bit about the journey between kind of um, figuring out who your customers were, because, you know, did you try out go down the route of having consumers who could, you know, ship anything um, or is it purely like corporates that are shipping things? Yeah. So initially we would go after consumers. Um, so we would market the app in places that consumers might pick it up um, and you'd see your app downloads go up a lot. But, you know, really, um, if you ask yourself, when was the last time you needed a truck? <laughs> It's not exactly repeat. So I guess in chasing the, the, the work for our partners, we ended up with more businesses than, uh, than people. You guys, you know, are in Kenya. So I think what specific pros and cons that you guys encounter in building this business? Yeah. So I think 
one of the things I noticed pretty quickly is there's a very low level of trust in the market in general. And uh, it's a low level of trust in a lot more than just commercial dimension. So politics, um, um, you know, uh, timing, I mean, name it, there's a low level of trust. So one of the things I think that, that can really help e-commerce and help the ecosystem, I think, was to start to introduce some sort of service that people can find reliable. And I, I still get truck owners who do a couple of jobs, get paid on time, and then come looking for us at the office because they're like, wow, we can't believe it, it was that easy. Um, and then as you get your name and your credibility up for actually doing what you say you'll do both on the, on the customer side and, and, and on, the on the transport partner side, you begin to develop some of that. So that's the biggest one. The first one is credibility and trust and just people believing that will happen. So for example, when we launched, um, you'd get a lot of orders of people just experimenting. And I was talking to some of the guys who launched Uber here. And they had a similar experience where guys would call for an Uber and then when it shows up, they're like, oh my God, it showed up. <laughs> so <laughs> there's that whole uh, get, getting over that. I think the second one is the regulatory environment is, is quite, is not startup friendly really. Um, so I think my biggest check every month is to payroll taxes and VAT, which is sad. <laughs> right? That's another one. And I think the last one has to be raising funding um, i'm kind of interested also in sort of like the sustainability side of it um you guys seem to be sort of interested in in that do you think a platform like yours you know is able to do this kind of business in a more sustainable way and i know you've done some partnerships kind of around that area i like that question and the reason i like that question is because i really hate all the impact stuff um, especially when it's not just a startup that could be sustainable. It's more like we'll give you mosquito nets <laughs> or we'll give you, uh, uh, we'll give you some, some food or whatever. Uh, I think this is the way to grow Africa out of its, out of its um, poverty, is creating products that can create jobs and create incomes locally, and then they create a demand and then the economy grows. I think, you know, our historical uh, businesses are very resource heavy and those are always about efficiency they're always about doing it at the lowest cost possible because it's a commodity there's no differentiation and you can't really create jobs with those sort of innovation so i think for for businesses like like mine and there's a lot of startups in africa i mean i'm in a group with like 200 ceos on whatsapp within the tech scene so this is really going uh, people are really going for it, even if I know how hard it is to do here. Uh, but those are the guys that will make a difference. And a good one is, if you look at um, Uber, Bolt, all these taxi guys, they must be employing a million bikes. <laughs> I mean, we have so many bikes doing deliveries, and those jobs weren't there before those guys came up. You know, So I think the gig economy, yes, um, does make a big difference. And if it's creating an income and the unit economics work, I think it could really have a big, big lasting impact on, on, on Africa. And, and, and maybe a, a question around sort of like some of the difficulties that you've also faced as well. Obviously, when Uber first came, um, part of it was also, I guess maybe it's a different class of problem entirely, but, you know, gets in drivers that understood how to use the platform itself, um, gets in sort of like good trucks, good 
cars looking good because obviously uber in a different country there's there was a feeling of getting an uber and then when he first came to nigeria like some of the cars have been good but as time has gone on it's sort of like twisted into into something but i'm just wondering for for the logistics business as well um seeing as you don't own the trucks you don't own any of this property like what have been some of your sort of like challenges i know you mentioned the testing people fake orders and things like that but just some of the other things that you've you've run into so and again, this comes down to the regulatory environment in Kenya. One of the few things we can tax, uh, I think, is um, second-hand vehicles. So uh, cars in Kenya pretty much cost double what they cost everywhere else. Um, so, and then they limit the age uh, at which you can bring it in. So I think it was, when we started this business, it was 10 years. Now it's down to about seven so all the vehicles come in used and they come in used already 10 years old all right so you're already starting on a very low base with older technology and then the roads aren't great um and because we don't have a a big new car market um the support networks you you generally get from the oem equipment makers isn't there you've got mom and pop shops really so you end up with a really old fleet and so the kenyan fleet is old and you can imagine so something that came in five years ago is now 15 years old for commercial vehicles that's really old (laughs) (laughs) so that's why when people look across some parts of africa they see really beaten down trucks um it's because of some of these challenges that the transporters have to put up with um, you know, poor support networks, poor maintenance, and and um, limiting uh, tax regulations that mean they have to drive older vehicles around. Speaking of the regulatory problems, I think even beyond logistics, um, folks in Nigeria are battling <laughs> the government right now when it comes to sort of like the fintech side of things. So um, it's quite interesting because I think picking a business like yours, which has a bit of it that isn't in control of the private sector, meaning the roads, um, obviously, like that's a big part of it. Um, so I'm just wondering, like, looking at that challenge of how bad the roads are, how difficult it will make such a business to scale, why did you decide to still, like, go after this? And how big an impact has that been on what you've done so far? Yeah, I mean, we're just approaching 6,000 vehicles on our platform now. Um, So it actually hasn't been limiting at all. Because interestingly, we didn't really change behavior so much. What we change is where it happens. So if you imagine today you have a load um, and you want to get a truck and we didn't ex- before we existed, you'd walk out the gate, maybe speak to a couple of brokers, maybe speak to a few transporters, make up who you trust, who you don't trust, and then you do your transaction and somehow you pay him at the end. Um, so with us, we've checked, we've pre-checked this vehicle so we know who they are. We've got all their documentation. We've checked the drivers. We know who they are. So you kind of safe at least the base safety is there in terms of identification when you've got a load if you told us uh, i've got a load to move a to b we'll tell all six thousand drivers at once that that's there so you don't have to walk around talking to three or four and then we'll rank it and organize it for you with the driver's experience how many trips they've done their rating out of five stars and the price at which they're willing to do it and we'll give you as a customer the chance to respond and ask them to give you the price that you're really looking for. So it's really like an auction, if you like. 
Um, but it doesn't really change the way Africans behave. You know, they like they love to haggle. Um, the few African countries I've been to. I'm kind of interested in, in the tech as well. So I assume like logistics has a lot of like IoT, that kind of stuff that's brought into it, tracking. Um, I know you guys use some AI and machine learning. So like where are you kind of using that and how is it working, you know, and making the platform better? We collect a lot of data as we go about every day, doing quite a lot of trips now. So we deploy our AI to mine um, our pricing information um, for different dynamics. Um, and, and that's basically, it's actually there to help our transporters make better decisions. I can only imagine with, with a fleet that's 6,000 strong that you collect a lot of data and there's a lot of stuff to be sorted through. So what have you learned, I guess, that surprises you that you, you, that you didn't know before from all the data you collected? I don't know what I'm willing to say just here because we're in the middle of it and it's and it's pretty <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty uh, it's pretty interesting. Um, maybe next time when I come on for the next one, I'll tell you what we learned and we'll be using it already. Sorry about that. Let's talk about the roads. And I'm sure having all cars and bad roads is not a good combination. So is there anything you would do to, to change that? It's, it's the other companies or companies like yours trying to uh, voice, you know, government and, and say, hey, you know, we, we can build better roads or at least improve certain section that's always been an issue. I think one, one, one of the players that gets a really bad rap is China. I think they're really treated unfairly in the media. Because the impact these guys are having in being here just for five years is just massive. We've got an amazing train now. We've got big, great highways that we didn't have before. They've reduced the time to go to northern Kenya, I think, by one and a half days. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's really something. Well, um, I wasn't expecting days at the end of that sentence, but <laughs> yes. <laughs> And so, and, 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 you know, the idea that, they, 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 I think I read somewhere they were going to take our port. Um, I think people who haven't been to China um, don't quite understand that the port we have here wouldn't fit in their, ki- would fit in their kitchen. I mean, it's a really big place. That, so for me, I really think that what the Chinese are doing with their uh, road and bridge initiative is about the best thing that's happening in Africa right now, debt or no debt. Um, and I think mm. that... For Kenya, we've seen a massive step change in our infrastructure by having them around. And when I look at my business in the context of the African Free Trade Zone Agreement that was done, um, I think that if they can connect me to Toby in Nigeria with a really nice highway and a really nice railway, um, it would be nice to go to West Africa without having to go to Europe first. <laughs> you know? Wait, is that, is that actually the case? Do you have to go, to, go through Europe? Or, or you have to go through Dubai or something, yeah. So uh, another thing that we, we noticed straight away, uh, we're talking about poverty and making sure we're trading with Africans and making products Africans can afford. Um, that's what actually grows economies. Only 8% of trade in, in Africa is with other African countries. And the problem with trading with the Western economies is a lot of the old rules were forgotten because they're advantageous to a lot of their conglomerates. So we sell raw materials without adding any value. Um, I mean, a great example, and you know, I'm giving you rough numbers here, so uh, just want to put that out there. 
65% of rubber comes from Liberia. The car tire market alone is 200 billion. And Liberia's GDP is three. <laughs> Just give you some context. I was working out that uh, uh, yeah. we do a lot of tea and coffee farming in Kenya. And I think the Kenyan tea farmer keeps 15 cents on $100. So if you open up the market, sure. you, give, you give my business, which is in transport, a lot to do. Because I can trade tea with Nigeria. Nigeria can sell me plastics and other oil-related products. I can trade mm. cocoa with... You know, uh, yeah, I th- it's, who's big on cocoa? Ivory Coast. I can mm. trade uh, aluminium products and, and that sort of thing from Ghana. And you, you know, mm. and you open up a market to a billion customers. If Liberia made a cheap, cheap uh, bike tire for our riders, who we call border borders, they could potentially move their GDP by some factor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. That's so interesting. That's but um, so so, have you seen any actual impact yet on your business? You know, from the the, the free trade area since it's kind of kicked in. None. Or uh, <laughs> what's the plan going forward? I mean, you're in Kenya at the moment. No you you want to go to other countries? I want it. So. I want it open. I really, really want it open. I really do. I really want it open because there's there's no history to those boundaries anyway. I really want them open. It's sad when the wildebeest migration seems to be more intelligent than our than our <laughs> local. Uh, I'll, I'll stop there. <laughs> so what's the what's the problem there, and like what what can be fixed, you know, to make it happen for you? I mean, I I, I think we're, we're the least needy, but it's just political will. They've all signed up to the agreement. It's been announced. It's been discussed. It's just the political will. Hmm. I don't think people realize just how much we can export to each other and how beneficial it is to do yeah, that. Yeah. J- Japan got rich because they did things like Sony Walkman and TVs that you could afford and Toyota started selling cheap cars across the world. You know, we, mm. we can do the same things with ourselves. America did the Ford and we're not doing it amongst ourselves. We're just sitting here and buying. We're basically giving raw materials and then buying finished goods. But I do want to go back to China. How much do you think it's depending on China to build better roads to go to different countries in Africa? Or how much is like what you were saying about having the countries come together? I'm I'm really not an expert at this, but I think the last time African countries were borrowing from the World Bank and the IMF, the repercussions were quite bad. And then this time around, when China came offering financing, it was really needed. Um, it's not that they borrowed because, of course, there's been some, <laughs> there's been some uh, stuff go missing, <laughs> but overall, the African citizen, the African Kenyan citizen, has really benefited from, from having the, the Chinese come and just give those loans to build the infrastructure out, and in the in the in the in the we we have counties rather than states, if you like, or provinces. We have counties, in the counties where the governors are really uh, want to make a difference. It's been amazing so there's some like gems yeah and speaking of the counties right so uh, can counties sort of like step out on their own to sort of like secure these kinds of loans or is it dealt with on sort of like a federal level mm. yeah it's just kind of top uh, government down you know down you get you get yeah. your allo- you get your allocation yeah yeah, yeah. gotcha so <laughs> now now this might be a dumb question but are you at least hopeful that this positive attitude that from county leaders will catch on to the federal level <laughs> I wish you guys could see his face, but it's fine. <laughs> oh, you know, 
when I came back initially, I thought, so I came back to the country in uh, late 2018 and I thought, okay, so it's not quite London, but um, I see so much opportunity and hope and, and I think this place is going to be, this place is just going to boom. Mm-hmm. And then after spending two years here, I, just, I, I kind of started getting a bit skeptical about it's not because we're being held back as a black people, as an African people. I think that's what everyone likes to say. We're actually our worst own enemy. <laughs> <laughs> Just as Africans. Yeah. <laughs> we're actually yeah. our worst own enemy. It's not, you know, it's, it, it, there, there's no long-term consensus view of how, of where we should get to and how to get there. Mm. Which is why I think uh, we needed, we, we, we just need, we, we need a lot of time before things change. You, you, you were right about that. I think one point I was going to make earlier was how I think the focus is never really on growing the pie, just increasing your share of what pie already exists. Um, exactly. And, <laughs> at and, at and the what, expense and, of someone else. <laughs> exactly. And, and the, the, like, I get that you want to steal, you want to take stuff out, but like, even be visionary about that, right? Like, because if the pie is bigger, like, it's just so. And I guess to bring you back to sort of startups and army truck and what we're doing, I think it's mm. the is the is the tech has been a really nice way mm. to enable small businesses and consumers to continue to grow and transact, even with a lot of the hurdles that all Africans go through, irrespective of where you are. Yeah. No, but I do think that what, what you touched on earlier uh, of that trust, I think that trust being built, it's important. I was in taking an Uber in Lima and I realized in the airport in Lima, they basically, they will take your, they'll, they'll accept your, your right request, but they wouldn't show up. And when you when you couldn't look for them and you can go across the, the airport parking lot, you wouldn't find them and you have to cancel the right. And they make that $5 cancellation fee because they will charge you because it's over 10 minutes. I think Uber later changed the policy to if the driver didn't show up, obviously you have to cancel. But then, you know, once that trust start to be built, I think once people say, hey, Uber is, is working or Airbnb is working, I think that come from ground up. I think what you guys are probably seeing right now is that trust being built. Like, okay, here's a, a transparent open platform for us to use for consumers and for the truckers. And I think that probably, you know, that's me trying to pin like a better, like optimistic future that is probably going to, catch on to other industries too and other and, and hopefully the, the on a federal level they can see all right this is actually working out for everybody this is a win-win situation for all we can actually there's no more mysterious broker involved in in, in a given industry that people are actually benefit from the the people everybody having a phone the, just that alone is able to bring like economic you know change and benefit to everybody do you think that's yeah. happening that's definitely happening. I mean, you talk about uh, everybody having a mobile phone with Kenya. You can't do that without talking about M-Pesa. Mm-hmm. So M-Pesa yeah. digital money that, and, and actually Amitrak has integrated M-Pesa into its platform. So mm-hmm. when both the driver and the cargo owner agree that a trip is completed, the app pays the driver automatically. Mm-hmm. And so this sort of things enable, you know, really sophisticated payments, if you think about it. Um, just using a mobile phone Um, Mm. yeah so definitely tech has definitely helped uh, overcome some of these issues really well
So I think it was a pretty interesting interview. It's a um, industry that you know you don't really know that much about, so it was kind of cool to get a inside track um, on the industry. What I found really interesting was how um, he said that you know all these Kenyan startups kind of have a WhatsApp um, thread where they all chat and like share help. And you know, one person's like, "Oh, I'm having this problem," then someone else can be like, "Oh, I've you know I just had that problem last week." So that's kind of cool to hear that the startups aren't really like so competitive and vying for money and all that was kind of what you think it would be like but actually they more like wanting to help each other to succeed the one thing i would say is though that that trap group in itself it's like disrupting the the networking industry yeah sure <laughs> well it would be a substance i guess to in this digital age would be like if when you can see each other or oh, we're meeting in person is hard you know there's a chat group for you to kind of share your thoughts and deal with i think what they're dealing with is actually very practical like you know government laws and like different difficulties applying for funding and all that stuff so i think that's fascinating yeah absolutely for me, I think the, the thing that came up as well was, you know, the thing about allowing the truckers set their prices and the sort of like reverse effect that had. Because um, obviously always in, in economics, you usually feel like it will be a race to the bottom when you allow people to set their prices in things like that. But apparently, um, for whatever reason, um, he couldn't share that with us. But like they seem to converge at a proper pricing that really, you know, helps them close deals on the platform. So I, I think it's quite interesting. Um, and, and also like... He was very coy about the what data and insights have shown so far. Um, so that that I'm pretty like curious to see um, as they continue to grow. You know what kind of insights come out from from all of that. This seems like such a difficult industry to be in. You know, like all the problems with um, roads being really bad and like terrible hours and like I don't think I'd want to be a tracker myself. But it's cool that you can see that tech is actually improving things and making like things easier for the truck driver, making it easier for the companies and making it easier for people to actually move stuff around. Um, so it's cool to see when tech really works to solve, you know, challenges in an industry that's hard. Right. I think that touched on the point where I was thinking too, where that is not just friendly for consumers and the truckers, but also for the environment. There's a system, there's an algorithm, which I believe he also didn't share too much about, to figure out your data and to say, hey, that makes sense. That route makes sense. That route might look closer, but the, the terrain is very difficult. When they, when they go out to, to a different town, when they come back, they probably can schedule a trip back. You know, we're back in the day, you still have to go through somebody, the invisible, the all-powerful broker. Now you can let algorithm figure that out. And I think in terms help the environment so i think that's something that's kind of fascinating too so i'm interested to see whether that caught on to other areas i probably will in africa and i think hopefully to in other industries i think it's also how right now they're focused they started with long haul i think uh, and now they're a bit closer to sort of like the middle to last mile um and they have some customers where they're helping with last mile deliveries as well so i think uh, it just shows the multiple use cases for this um, and as roads become better on the continent as more continents become uh, as more countries within the continent become more connected even with the free trade um, agreement that has been put into place even though it's still just on the surface level for now it, it does show the kind of opportunities that exist for what it is that they're building at the moment 